few of you. Good. <laughs> oh my, I'm good. A little winter, but uh, it's that time of year. First of December, actually, today. Where did this year go, by the way? Wow, crazy. Well, today, uh, Lord willing, we're going to conclude a, um, a short study we, that we've done on um, why are we... <laughs> Thank you, Ernie. <laughs> short study. There's nothing I do that's short, is there? <laughs> nothing. <laughs> um, anyway, a study. <laughs> I think this is our third week involved in it. But uh, at any rate, I've been talking about why are we here? Why are we... Uh, literally, why are we walking the face of the earth? Is there a purpose? Is there, uh, and we kind of went along that line, and we've, we're going to do quite a bit of review today and just kind of uh, put our arms around all of it. Hopefully, it'll all kind of come together and make some sense. Um, <clears throat> but before we go any further, let's just uh, bow our, our hearts in prayer. Father God, we thank you for the day. We thank you for your love and care. We thank you for an awesome, sovereign God that is complete in every way pure, holy, righteous, uh, needs nothing from anyone or anything, created, created out of nothing, a universe that we can't even figure out how big it is. That's amazing. Uh, but Father, you've done all of that and literally show yourself in so many ways. Uh, it says that creation declares your handiwork. The skies, the stars, the mountains all speak of a mighty God. Father, it's also something that you've made us for as well. You have made us for the purpose of glorifying you and allowing us to enjoy you forever. And Father, today we would ask that we would even see that more clearly, that our relationship would have never been closer than it is today. We do ask that you would open our hearts, our lives, everything that you want and desire for us to be. We give them to you. May the Holy Spirit exclusively be our teacher today. May we be attentive and open to what you would have for us, using the Word of God, the truth, to direct and guide our lives. And for this, we are so very thankful. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Um, I was going to take care of just one... uh, quick little uh, order of business before we tie back into our subject, but last week I had used as, a, uh, as an example, I'm not sure which one it was exactly now, but we talked about Noah, and uh, I think I had mentioned, I didn't go back and check, but I think I had mentioned that Noah was building an ark for a very long time, and I think I might have said 120 years, and someone asked me afterwards, well, where did you get the 120 years? And I said, well, out of the Bible. <laughs> but, but actually, uh, I'd like to go back there and maybe just uh, go a few, a, few, a few things. And uh, there are maybe not as clear-cut, um, shall we say, definitively, that's maybe a better word, of exactly the length of time that it took for Noah to build the ark. But it was a long time. Um, and the 120 years doesn't maybe necessarily tie in exactly with the ark building, but we know, uh, you got your Bibles? Let's just do a quick little little, little study here. Let's go to Genesis uh, chapter 5 and verse 32. Let's assess uh, the age of, of Noah. 
in, res in respect or in context with some of the other things. We find in verse 32 of Genesis chapter 5 that Noah was 500 years old and Noah begat Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Okay, so he's 500 years old and he has his kids. I'm like, oh my goodness. <laughs> oh my goodness, right? Talk about... I, I, I can't. I can't, can't get there. Now, one of the things that our, our world was very, very different then prior to the flood, uh, it had never rained. And we spoke of that last week. How do you get up in the morning if you're, if you're Noah and God, he does direct him. In fact, let's keep moving before I get too far off on the, on the context here. But in chapter 6, just turn to um, verse 3, uh, just down a couple of verses. And, and it says this, The Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. Now, there's two thought processes to that, and I can't be super definitive about it, but we do know that, that Noah is 500 years old when he has his three sons, or begins to have his three sons. Um, and then it says that God, if you read the first part of chapter 6, you find God is extremely frustrated with everything that's taking place. And if you follow the whole flood account, guess what? Out of all of the inhabitants of the earth, literally it comes down to eight that are on the the ship, on the ark. And by the way, I'm convinced no one else wanted to be on there. They didn't. And God, God finally said, that's enough. That is it. And, and my perception of chapter 6 and verse 4 is the fact that there was a point at which God said, you know what? I'm going to give them 120 years, and that's it. Then there's going to be a disaster. Now, we do know that in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 and 9, it talks about that God is extremely long-suffering. And he would wish that all would come to repentance. And it even talks about there... In fact, let's go there, let's go there for a second. Uh, into 2 Peter. I'm jumping around a bit here. But hopefully at the end of the day, your notes will all kind of bring you back to making some sense. 2 Peter chapter, chapter 3, verses... 8 and 9. And this, is, this tells us more about our God. That's why the Bible is so important for us. Is The more we understand who God is, the better we're likely to, as we're even in the study we're talking about, to glorify Him, to honor Him, to, to resonate in the sense of all that He requires and demands and wants. It says in verse 8, chapter 3, 2 Peter, Beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. Quite honestly, uh, God is outside of time. He created time. That's hard to imagine. None of you uh, can, can do anything about time. Time comes, it goes, you need to be there or you weren't or it's over, right? It's just the way it is. God is before and after. There's the, he's eternal and it's so hard for us to wrap it around. But, so in other words, sometimes we get caught up just the time of things. Verse 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That is a really cool verse. God is really, really interested in bringing all to repentance. He, he loves us to the point of doing anything imaginable that are obviously within the confines of what salvation is about, trusting Jesus Christ as Savior. But he took care of the big, the big stuff. But now turn back just probably one page in your Bible, 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 5. Now it describes for us Noah, very, very, uh, it's just short, it's condensed, but tells us nonetheless, verse 5, chapter 2, 2 Peter and spared not the old world, speaking of God, he spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person. Now, there was, uh, how do, what's, what's that about? Well, there's Noah, and his wife is two. He has three sons, so that's five. And then each one of those sons has wives, so that's eight people out of the entire population that literally have enough faith to trust God to climb on the earth. It says that the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. Now, right there we find something out about Noah, that he was literally discussing and preaching the fact of God is righteous 
and he lived it. He lived a life. So that helps us see a little bit more about uh, Noah. Let's go back to Genesis now. And we find in chapter 7, in chapter 7, or actually, I'm sorry, verse 14 of chapter 6. And let's start in verse 13. Here's where God directly tells Noah what what he wants him to do. God said unto Noah, The end of all flesh is come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make thee an ark of gopher wood, rooms that thou shalt make in the ark, and shalt pitch it within and without the pitch. And this is the fashion which thou shalt make of it. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits, the breadth of it 50 cubits, and the height of it 30 cubits. Now, uh, uh, if you're normal here today, the sense of you going into the hardware store and say, you know, I'd like 30 cubits of hose or 30 cubits of string, and they would look at you. What are you talking about? Well, that was the... That, well, he's going to know now. So he's, he's listening in on us right now. So now you can go to Ernie in the hardware store on Fridays, and you can say, I want 30 cubits of string. And he's going to know because he's going to whip out his calculator. And we know that more than likely, it's not exact, but more than likely, one cubit would be 18 inches. Okay? So what did you guys tell me? We're going to find out how big this ark is right now. That's where we're going to start right now. So do you, do you have a feeling, Ernie, we're not going to get done today with our... <laughs> Yeah, you're right there with me. And that's okay. God will forgive us. We'll keep moving. So I'm going to find my calculator app on this, and we're going to do this. So how many cubits long was the arc? 300. So we're going to take 300 times 18 inches, because that's a foot and a half, and we're going to divide that by 12. And the length of that bugger was... Now, see this? Now, stop... I got the right, but here's where I was going to go, though. You know what I did last week, and I've done it before, is I make it sound, and I always like to make things so communicable. I want people to get and live, because if I just talk about Noah built an ark, and then God flooded the earth, and it was over. I, don't, I want it more than that. I want to be slip into that context. I want you to be able to see and feel what's going on. So what did I do last week, as I usually did? It took Noah a long, long time. I think I said 120 years. I'm going to go with 100 today, after more, more research, and that's... Well, that made a big difference, but it's still a long time. But, but this is what I like to do is, you know what? That was a project that was sitting just in front of the garage. And his wife says, would you please move that? But, you know, it's much bigger than that. You know, and I wanted to get your attention, but this was a, honey, we got to buy another lot of land to put this 450-foot-long ark on it that God told me to build, of which it's never rained, it's never flooded. We know nothing about any of this, but God said, build it. So I'm going to build it. <laughs> Isn't that something? That's crazy. Now, we also know that Noah was 600 years old when the flood came. So, again, you can see it's not super definitive, but the 120 years that God said, I'm going to flood, he didn't say I was going to, I'm going to, this is the end of mankind. I'm going to, that's, that's it, I've had it, I can't take any more. I'm going to save those, those eight, Noah and his family, and I'm going to preserve them to start again. And from that point... Noah would have been 480 years old when that would have been mentioned, right? Okay. Now, we know that he was probably given the direction to do the ark probably when he was about 500. Okay? But that doesn't mean he wasn't talking about it. Did you see he was a preacher of righteousness in 2 Peter? But for that, did it take all 500 years? I'm sorry, all 100 years? I don't know. But it sure could have. It sure could have. But let's go back and check something because one of the things that's gone on, well, wait a minute. We know that Shem 
and Ham and Japheth had wives that entered the ark. Well, that's okay. Let's find out how old they are when they are. So let's go to chapter 11 of Genesis, chapter 11 and verse 30. I think we'll find it there. Because it talks about their family. Chapter 11 and verse 30. Um, Let's see. I am wrong. Okay, where do we got to go here? No, I'm way ahead. I went to Abram. Let's go back. Uh, Chapter 11. Oops, knock that down. Uh, Genesis chapter 11, and let's start in verse 10. Here we go. Verse 10. These are the generations of Shem. Okay? Shem was 100 years old, and we got... Arfax, two years after the flood. Ah, now we're starting to tie things together now, aren't we? So in other words, if he's 100 years old, when he begat, and it was two years after the flood, when the flood happened, he was 98. Okay? Because, and then we know that Abram, not Abram, oh, that would mess this thing up. Noah was 500 years old when he begat his sons. So you see, it really kind of tidies us pretty nicely into about a 100-year period of time of which Noah was very actively involved in listening to what God has to say. And I think it was probably pretty cool. Now, some say, well, his sons had to help him build the ark. Where do you get that? They certainly helped him later on. In fact, wouldn't that be something? They're like four or five years old. Dad, what are you building? An ark. Huh. And for the next 70 years, we're still building the ark, Dad. And I do think I went on a very, very long time. And every time somebody, some neighbor walked across, what do you think happened to them? After year 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80. It would be even more scoffing. Or are you going to tell me the flood's coming, Noah? Is the flood coming? I can't hear the flood. Rain. And that's the other thing. It had never rained. Now, there's few of you here that have thought some years here it never rains. But for their lifetime, and and let let me make this straight. For 600 years of Noah's life, he had never seen it rain. Now you're starting to get the faith factor, aren't you? And when God told him, I want you to build this because I'm going to flood the earth. You see what I'm saying? That's belief. That's what it talks about as we went back to Hebrews last week. Okay, any other questions about just the context of all of that? Solved it all. Okay, very good. Very good. Where did we fit that in last week? Do you remember? I mean, I remember talking about it. And I, and I did say, I'm pretty sure I said it was 120 years. Now, the 120 years is the fact God said, that's it. I made up my mind. I'm going to give them 120 years to repent. And we know what didn't happen. They didn't repent. And then more than likely, I've done it twice now. Noah probably spent after, I, I just know this about Noah. God says, you know, Noah, I want you to build an ark. Well, let's see. He says, Let me get a committee. I'll get back to you on that. I'll kind of visit with my wife. You know, by the way, we're just having kids. It's a busy place, God. I mean, really, literally. I mean, we, we don't have time to build an ark right now. We're a very busy people. You know what I think he did? He started finding gopher wood. And he went to work. He started assembling. Have any of you uh, looked at, uh, actually, one of our congregation has went back to see that. Uh, Was it Lois? Okay. Anyway, went back to see the ark. That has, and it's, a, it's as close to replica as possible. And I'm tell, I saw some of the pictures in just the building phases of that. My goodness, it would have taken many years. 
Now, there was somebody that tried to create that. They said, well, you know, literally knowing what we know about Noah, what, what kind of tools did he have and all of that? I don't know, but they're pretty sharp guys. If you live five, 600 years in this earth, you're going to start to figure some things out, <laughs> right? Right? And probably the less being corrupted by sin and all of this other stuff that our society's messed up in, they're pretty bright. They're pretty bright. I can't imagine that Adam didn't have a lot of things figured out. Can you imagine how much Adam would have known to be in a perfect Garden of Eden, no sin, no nothing, and then gone through the fall, and you're 950, was it 950? Is that what he lived? you got to know some things, right? (laughs) And to think of, I think uh, Noah was really generationally speaking, he was not very far away from from Adam. In fact, his grandfather, okay, now stay with me now, his grandfather, does anybody know who who Noah's grandfather was? You're going to say it, I know you are. It starts with an M, right? That guy? Methuselah. Methuselah. Now, what do you know about Methuselah? Well, not very much, Larry, other than he was the oldest living man. He died at 969 years old. Do you know when he died? If you do all the math, you figure it out. You know what year he died? The year of the flood. I'm convinced that Methuselah would have helped Noah on that ark because he was a righteous man. God took him home, and he took Noah on the ark. Just think of all, all of that stuff that would have went on there. <laughs> well, what, one thing would be easy, right? <clears throat> Where are you going today, honey? To the ark. <laughs> right? <laughs> and the other part is, is I would, you know, who's to say that he didn't also hire some outside help to help with it? It's a massive project. I mean, when you start to look at even the, you know, the, the new one, if you, if you say, it's a major undertaking. Because it's 400, somebody got your Bibles open to a 614. Help me, I'll, I'll figure out the rest of your math. It was uh, 450 feet long. And uh, how, how, how wide was it? How many cubits? 75 cubits? No. Oh, you've got it already. You've, see, she just took my thunder away from me, right? Okay, so, so it's 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 high. Is that right? Now, that's a massive, massive piece of navigational stuff, right? Yeah, think of, think of that. Think of that. Isn't that amazing? And then uh, three stories. Three stories in it. Three stories. And it floated. That's really the one thing. It didn't, have to be, it didn't have to be a masterpiece in the sense of beauty. It only had to do two things. It had to hold a lot of stuff, and it had to float. Floating was really big. It was really a big deal. And that's why I think God went through quite a bit of, you know, you're talking about the refinement of how to, how to build it, how to, you know, using the pitch to, to uh, fortify it in the sense of making it leak-proof. But they, it's thought that it probably weighed about 12,000 tons. 12,000 tons. That's without. Think of it. Yeah. Because they thought it probably displaced 20,000 tons as far as displacement. But it itself was, again, these are numbers that, are, you know, people are just thinking about. Um, that, isn't that made, that's amazing. That's amazing. But my, all of that being said, I said 120 last, year, uh, last week. Um, 100 is probably a closer level. And it could be less, but not much less. Because if you think of the undertaking of that, amazing. You know, they use cranes and all kinds of things to build this one they had. You know, I, I don't know. I mean, it's just crazy. Lots of stuff. Okay. That was just a little branch we went right down, and we had a lot of fun, right? So let's get back. Let's get back to what we were talking about today. So we're going to try to just bring it all together. Now, one of the things, my problem that I have that I'm not sure of, and you're going to help me because someone here took notes the last couple of weeks, right? 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 Maybe. Oh, maybe. I see something coming here. So what we're going to do is... Um, 
let's, so let's do a lot of reviewing. So we're here, why? Why are we here? Just by accident, uh, some, some atoms just kind of got together, and there was protoplasm, and pretty soon, poof, here you are, and we have no purpose whatsoever, we're just kind of hanging around. Evolutionary, and what's that? What do you have? To glorify God. You, you just went right through the chase. Can't have any fun at all. We just got to get right there. But really, literally, we are to glorify God. That, that's the whole purpose. And by the way, there's two types of, there's almost, there's two facets of the sense of the glory of God. One of them is what we would call intrinsic glory. It's something that he already has. He inhabits the very essence of who God is. He is glory. In fact, maybe let's take a look at, uh, let's see, where can I go to do that? Now oh, I lost my glasses. No, there they are. There they are. Let's go to uh, one of the, the kind of a theme verse we'd have is, is Psalms chapter 16. Let's go there for a second. Psalm chapter 16, verses 8 and 9. Psalm 16, verses 8 and 9. Uh, David speaking here. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also shall rest in hope. Now, there's a, there's a thought process. In these two verses, you kind of put it all together. And really, that is what we're talking about in the sense that the Lord is before me. My whole aim, my whole focus is to, to glorify God because he deserves it. And then secondarily, as a result of us glorifying God, that's what I'm going to get to. I'm going to spend some time here today is the sense when you glorify God, and we're going to look at 12 things, and you say, Good heavens. I, it's only 4 o'clock. Well, we're good. We're good shape, right? <laughs> right, right. There you go. Okay. And, but we're going to review a lot of them. In fact, I think today, how many did you have last week? Total. Do you know how many you have total? 11? Did you really? Well, this is going to be short. Then we're going to knock this out quickly. How many? Seven? This isn't going to work out right now, I can tell you that, because we're going to get to 12. This isn't going to work. But at any rate, um, David probably does as well of, of showing us a Godward focus, if you will, something that we need to point towards, and, and one that was overarching. That I, I think we're going to get our eighth one without even trying too hard today, because the first thing we really need to understand is, uh, would somebody turn to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and verse, uh, 1 10, chapter 10, verse 20, 31. This is the overall arching thing of giving God glory. And we should do it because he deserves it. He's made us. Let's see. I've got to find. There we go. Are you guys in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31? Okay. Um, let's read that. I'll be there in a second. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 31. This is kind of the overarching umbrella, if you will of how we should live. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. It says, Wherefore, Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, that's covering it all, do all to the glory of God. Okay? So one of the things that we need to keep in mind is it's not just wandering around, just harem scarum, doing whatever we think or whatever we're not thinking or just living for anything or nothing, for whatever. You must always aim at what you hope to hit. If you went out elk, has anybody went elk hunting this last couple of weeks? How did it go? Went well, good, good. Now I would, I'm gonna, I'm not gonna pick on you, but I'm going to for just a second. I think I'll bet it wouldn't have went quite so well. See, that was I wanted to pick on someone who went done well because it probably wouldn't have quite as well if you hadn't aimed at the elk. Correct. In other words, you just oh, there's some elk. I wonder if I just shot over here. If I'd get them. 
See, sometimes we're like that in life, aren't we? When we're not aiming at what we really are focused on, how, how, how could we not aim at what we want to hit? You say, well, that's pretty obvious. Well, you know what? There's a lot of times we don't take a lot of sensibility in what we're aiming at, what we're focusing at, and we, well, why didn't that work out? Leslie, what if you would have shot the opposite direction of where the elk were? Oh, and then hit the... <laughs> Perfect answer. Perfect answer, right? You would have missed. But what would have also probably happened is the noise, and they would have went away. They would have went away. We would have been ineffective. And that's a, it's, it's much the same way, I mean, as, as elementary as that example is, it's much the same way. If we're not aiming to glorify God, we won't get it done. So the, the primary thing is to aim. I'm just going to say it the way. Aim to glorify God in everything we do. What's, excuse me? This is actually number one. This is the overarching one. So what's going to happen now is we're going to bump the other ones, right? Okay. All right. Aim to glorify God because this is really the overarching one. Now, number two, you guys start filling me in because what I'm hoping to do now is in our review is you guys are going to tell me the ones that we've done and then I'll fill in the ones we haven't done because somewhere I've mixed them up. Okay, so we're going to depend on your notes. Number two. Yeah, the, 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 first, the first and really the only way, foremost way to glorify God is to accept him as, accept Jesus Christ as Savior. Because that's where it all starts. That's where you become a brand new person. And the Holy Spirit, I, I better write. I, have you noticed I cannot talk and write? You've noticed, haven't you? When you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, then everything is brand new. Your sin problem is taken care of. You are brand new, it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. And then the Holy Spirit comes to reside within you. He literally takes residence. That, now, see, then things start to be able to happen. As we yield to Him, things start to work. Now, number three, and this is where we're going to get a little confused because I think someone also asked me that I'd forgot one last week that we talked about the week before. And you're nodding, aren't you? Okay, which one? No, no, it wasn't. It wasn't. Do you remember what it was? Confession. Confession. Yeah, that's right. Because another thing, after you've accepted Christ, uh, confessing sin is a very key component to glorifying God. I'll give you a, 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 what's the opposite of confessing, of confessing sin? This is going to blow your mind right now. Do you know what the opposite of confessing sin? And Ernie's going to say not confessing sin. Okay. okay, I already saw that one coming. But, but literally... When you are not confessing sin, in other words, you're not taking accountability, you're not taking responsibility, do you know what you're really doing with it? You're blaming God. Let me show you an example of that. And we used it a couple of weeks ago. Let's go to your Bibles. We're going to try, as we review, we're going to go quickly, but I want to take a few opportunities as God leads for us to just kind of dial, dial in. Genesis chapter 3. Um, now, things are moving along nicely in the garden. Uh, God has, has not just built. He created things out of nothing. And it's all good, except one thing. One thing's not good. And he says, it's the only thing he said, it's not good. The man is alone. And he went through and named all those animals. Where did you read today, Paul? Were you in chapter 2? Chapter 2. Okay. Um, and did it talk about naming the animals? I, my mind was under there. Okay. And, and so literally, as those animals were paraded across, uh, Adam named all of those. And the only thing that was positive he knew at the end of that day was the fact he was worn out from naming animals, right? Because they, they went from probably hippopotamus. That was pretty... Duck. Fly. Right? It would, have, it would have been a long, long day, and it could have been several, but you understand what I'm saying. You know, it would have went from very complex, well-thought-out names to, 
let's get this over with. But you know, the bottom line of something that was very key that God saw, and which he knew, which he knew, but it was for Adam to see too. There was nothing there, no one, that was suitable to be, to be his mate. And God said, that's not good. But God, what did he do? He took a rib and he made a woman. And he said it was very good, very good. And Adam must have said, that's really good, right? And then what happened? Temptation came along, didn't it? Yeah, Satan came along. And what did he do? How did he, how did he attack this? Could you have made, now this is what I want to get to. Is there anything they needed in the Garden of Eden that they had to have but just didn't have there? What wasn't on the shelf? What wasn't there? Was there no, do you see, do you see where I'm trying to go? This was perfection. This was perfect. Except what? That's right. They, Satan cast doubt in Eve's mind that God really was withholding from them. She, he was holding something back. And right away, the mind started to go. And I'm going to tell you this right now. You never sin unless you doubt God's goodness. That's a, that's a guarantee. And it works every single time. And Satan knows if he can get you to just doubt something, or I'm being, something's being held off from me, or I, I, it's not as good as it could be. All of those things, you know what happens? Sin takes control then. Okay, so then you, you all know what happened. There was a Fuji apple tree there, and she bit it, and she said, Honey, this is awesome. And he's sitting right there, not protecting her from... By the way, he's, he's right there. He let her down. He let his wife down. And she gives it to him. He eats. And then, like, the lights go on, and it is a bad day. It is a very bad day. God starts... And by the way, how would you like to have a... Let's see. It's 4 o'clock. It's time for us to walk with God in the garden. <laughs> Can you imagine... I can't. Can't get there. I want, I'd like to be. And you know what, Sammy? It's going to be like that. It's going to be like that. We're going to be with him forever. I can't wait. I cannot wait to take a walk with Jesus, right? And those hands that are wearing scars forever that he did for me. Right? Isn't that crazy? Anyway, okay, so here we go. Adam, I'm sure, is concocting this story. Have you ever had little children and they've really, really messed up and they're hiding? They usually go, have you noticed that? They're hiding. They don't want to tell you what's going on because they just do that. In fact, Achan is another example we could use. Achan, remember what he did? He stole all that stuff from from, um, uh, Jericho. He hid it and then he basically hid too. That's what we do, okay? That's what we do. So God says, where are you at? Um, uh, We're hiding we were naked and we, 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 were, we were hiding. Well, who told you that? Did you eat of the tree? It's amazing how God can get cut right through the stuff. Uh, well, uh, it was the woman. Now, see, now, first of all, we stop there and we say, he said it was a woman. No, 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 no. No, I want you to go to chapter 3. I want you to see this in your Bible. You go to Genesis chapter 3 and you look at verse 12 and you tell me if it's really the woman that he's blaming. Watch. Watch. Uh, we'll start at verse 11, make sure we get our context. He said, who told you that you were, were naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? And the man said, watch this, the woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I did eat. Now, what has he done right now? Has he confessed his sin? That would have been the best thing he could have done, right? Because what would have happened to you, even as bad as it was, if he would have confessed his sin, guess what? God would have been glorified. 
But what did he do? He not only didn't confess his sin, he blamed God for giving him the woman who gave him the apple. Right? And I'm telling you, that blame game has went on forever. I was actually, uh, I got a phone call, oh, it was about 10.30. What night was that now? I was ready to go to bed, and I got a phone call. And the, the long and short of it was, there's people that have been praying for, and uh, the wife called me, and it was, she said, Larry, you need to call my husband, because he's, it, it's not good right now. So I spend the next three hours, 1.30 until I get to bed, just trying to quiet this whole thing down, right? And it was amazing, both husband and both wife, guess what they were doing? <laughs> guess what they were doing? Blaming. Blaming the other, right? It was the same story, but different person. Where did they get that from? The Garden of Eden. It's been going on forever, Right? Exactly. Confessing sin, the opposite of that is literally to blame God. When we confess our sin, now again, I'm talking, these are two very distinct situations. The first and foremost is to ask for forgiveness of sin. That's the ultimate. In other words, we were born sinners in Romans chapter 5, verse 12. It says that because of what Adam and Eve did, we are born into sin. We, we are, we're in a sin condition. We can't stop it. There's nothing we can do about it. It's like wave a white flag. We're done here. And the only one that can save us, literally, is Jesus Christ, who is wearing those nail prints in his hands because dying on a cross with his own blood, he bought our salvation. And when we accept him as our Savior, everything changes. But then even when he's taken residence, when the Holy Spirit lives within us, every time that we sin, in fact, let's go to this. This is a Christian's verse. When I say Christian is a follower of Christ, is in 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9. It says this. Oh, let's start in verse 8. Now, John is writing to, uh, to believers. So he says this in verse 8, chapter 1. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. In other words, we all sin. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Literally, we're right back in fellowship when we confess our sin. And that's a way that we actually bring glory to God is by confessing our sin. Okay, that one took a little bit longer. Ernie, we're just a little bit behind schedule. Not too bad, though. We're, we're doing okay. So number three, number three, oh, I'm sorry. yeah, number four, actually. Yeah, there we go. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get, you see how messed up I've got this now. Number four is, what you guys have? Trust, trusting him, trusting God, okay? Yes, it was, wasn't it? That's, that's exactly right. What a, per, what a perfect, or Abram, right? We talk, let's just talk briefly. Another example of Abram is the fact um, God puts a call on his life. He says, uh, I want you, Abram. Now he's about 900 miles away. He's in the land of Mesopotamia, which would actually be modern-day um, Iraq in Babylon. And he, he says, I want you to go where I want you to go. No maps. Nothing at all except you just follow me. Wow, right? Have you guys been on one of those journeys? Easy, isn't it? No, it's not. I remember uh, ourselves, my own family, we were in Livingston, and uh, it just kind of came to a close, and you don't have anywhere to go. Didn't really know where to go. Have you ever been there? You don't really know where to go. You're kind of like looking for a home. Just looking for a home, right? There's a song about that. And, and it seemed as such that we were to go to Miles City. And that was the first time that Genesis chapter 12 made a lot of sense to me. Get thee out of thy country, and I will take you one that I'll show thee. We didn't know where we're going, right? 
That's what it's like. And what does that take to follow God right then? Faith, trust. And when we don't trust him, what are we saying? In fact, let's go to uh, 1 John chapter 5, and verse 10. I think I have that written down that way. Or maybe, yeah, I do. On our way through, let's go to Romans. Just on the way through, we'll look at how God expressed to Abram. Because he waited for 25 years for his first son. And God had said, you're going to have descendants like the sand of the sea or the stars of the sky. And I'm telling you, Abram, he didn't know about all that stuff. But it tells us that he still trusted God. Uh, Romans chapter 4, verse 20 said this. I will start in verse 19. Being not weak in faith... (laughs) <laughs> That's so good. Being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body, now dead, when he was about 100 years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. But I'm wondering, I just thought, just hit me like right now, we were talking about Noah, right? Now, Noah had three kids when he was 500. So Abram said, you know, it's still possible. With, any, with God, anything is possible, right? You guys aren't buying that either, are you? Okay, well, let's keep going, because he had to certainly trust God. And he says this in verse 20. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, Did you see it? Giving glory to God. Faith in God, trust in Him gives glory to God. Now, I'd like to also have you look at the the reverse of that. Let's go to 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5. We studied this book some time back. And it says this, He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar, because he believed not the record that God gave his Son. Did you see what that just said? No, that's pretty distinct. But when we don't trust God, what have we just said? We have made him a liar. When's the last time you told, that you told God he was a liar? Well, of course I wouldn't. But you know what? We can live like that, though, can't we? Whoa. That's a little stout, isn't it? Do you see how important it is that we glorify God, how we do it? How we do it? Okay, now help me again. Number five, what did you have next? Fruitfulness, right? Is that correct? It'll work. Yep, fruitfulness, okay? And that is once you're connected, and I mean that word, when you're connected to Jesus Christ, when you're, when you're in the branch, when the vine is on the branch, guess what? You start to bear fruit. Fruit becomes who you are. You can't even stop making fruit. Have you ever seen an apple tree or something that you just look at the poor little thing and you say, well, that's not going to produce anything. But you know, it just, it just blows out, has a massive harvest. Why? Because it comes from within. Comes from within. It's a DNA, if you will. And when you are in Jesus Christ, everything changed. And now you can't stop making fruit because it's Him within you that's doing the fruit. Okay? That was in. What verse did I have you guys look at there? John chapter 15, probably. Okay, verse eight, write verse 8 down. We're going to come back. Somebody remind me of this. This is a verse I want you to remind me because we're going to be at the tail end of this today. And it's John chapter 15 and verse 11. But for you, you can plug in John 15, 8. Okay, number six. See, Ernie, we're picking up speed now. We're getting... praising. praising. Okay, we're praising him. How do you praise him? Okay, and, and, and how do we do that? I mean, what's, what's ways to do that? Songs, hymns. Yeah, just literally just opening your heart, right? I've, I've, inside the tractor cab, I've sung a lot of stuff that probably wouldn't be recorded. But it was from my heart and God received it. Make a joyful noise. It doesn't have to sound like be perfect melody. Um, but I tell you what, God receives it. Now, there's a, there's a part of that. There's also there's another part of this. And it's interesting when you watch. I'm going to use Habakkuk for a second. We studied him uh, uh, several weeks ago now. And Habakkuk, tell me about him for just a second. What, what, do we, what, do we, what do we know about Habakkuk? He was 
Okay, well, this is going well. Um, Habakkuk was a minor prophet, and he came and addressed uh, God. He wants to talk to God, and he says, God, I tell you, I got a problem here. I, I don't know how long we're going to go on here, but, but the people, your people, are, I mean, they're, they're sinning. It's a disaster. I don't know what to do. It's almost like Noah, but it's not quite to that level. And it's just, it's just a total wreck. And he says, how long are you going to let this go on? That was his question. And, and God answered him and said, well, no, it's coming to a, it's coming to a head. In fact, I'm going to use the Babylonians, the Chaldeans, another name for them. I'm going to use the Chaldeans to go ahead and discipline my children. Now, that was even worse because the Chaldeans would have been the most godless people imaginable on the face of the earth. And so Habakkuk is saying, what? That even makes less sense. You're going to use somebody that's less godly to chastise or discipline your people so they get... I don't understand any of this. Okay? But if you go to... Ch- now, I want you to write this down. We don't have time today. But if you go to chapter 3 of Habakkuk, if you can find it, go to the index. Right? <laughs> It's pretty cool. But what he starts to do is he starts to recite. And that's, that's the key I want you to remember. He starts to recite or to rehearse or to go back and talk about all of the things that God had done in the history of Israel. All of these magnificent things that literally made Israel great or could have been greater than they were, like the Red Sea, the crossing of the Red Sea. That is so amazing. Can you imagine telling your great-grandkids about that? Oh, it was amazing. We had our backs to the wall, back to the sea, and here comes the Egyptians, and they are going to take us out. And all of a sudden, Moses takes his staff, and he puts it on the water, and it just splits, and there's huge walls, and we go through it, and it's dry. I cannot believe it. And I turn around, and here come the Egyptians, and they come, and now that story will preach. In fact, it even says Rahab, who is a long ways away in Jericho in the land of ultimately Israel, she had heard of that story. She said, how great your God is in our eyes. Isn't that cool? Now, that's letting God work. That's glorifying God, isn't it? Every time they recited that to their kids, guess what? God got the glory. And that's even in our lives. You go back and you look at those, at those I'm going to say little mountains where, you, you know what, where God really proved he was God. And you start to say those over and over and over again. Guess what happens? It builds your faith. And you start to go beyond that whole situation because God is God and he is faithful and he will keep you all the way to the end. And what Habakkuk does is in chapter 3, he starts working his way through this. He's reciting all of these things. And you know what happens at the end of chapter 3? Oh, we've got to go there. We can't. We've we got to go there. You've got to find Habakkuk. You've got to get there. Habakkuk. It's in the Old Testament. How did that? Did that help you? <laughs> Habakkuk. Those of you that are searching for pages, it's 1,349. But look at this now. And again, I'm going to let you read Habakkuk chapter 3. But something happens to him as, he dis, as he's reciting all of these things that God had accomplished. You'll find it in chapter 3. And look at he get down to verse 17 and 18. I want to read this. Because what happened to his sense of disbelief and total, I can't believe. I'm still, by the way, he's got the same mess. Got the same mess, the same messed up country. Everything's all messed up, but it's different because he's put it into perspective. Now, last night, I woke up in the middle of the night, and I'm like, it's not going well, right? I'm, I'm rehearsing, but not I'm rehearsing God's stuff. I'm rehearsing the problems. Have you noticed how that is the opposite of that? I'm sorry, I'm just burying my soul, right? So what... there's a couple things, and, and some of you have utilized this as very key. When I start to think about other people, it diffuses the strength of that whole thing. I visited another family this week, and lots and lots of problems. I mean, things are tough. And by the way, there's a, even you here today, I know enough about life that you guys are struggling. I know that. That's just the way it is. That's life. But this, the, this, this family that I was visiting, they, they, and they were in lockdown mode. I mean, they were just, just you, know, you know, I get it. Oh. 
But that is so dangerous because that's exactly what the enemy wants you. He wants you to be divided and to be separate and feel all alone. And I said feel out loud. To feel all alone because then he has you in a very vulnerable position. The best thing that that family could do right now is to have something, somebody, somewhere to be just digging in and going after helping someone else. It takes all of that attention, all of that self-awareness. Maybe that's the right word I want to say. And and it's easy, isn't it? You know, I didn't wake up this morning and think about somebody else's problems. That wasn't the first problem that popped in my mind. Whose was it? You know, right? It was mine. And, And then you know what happens? You recite that, and it gets bigger. And pretty soon the room's not big enough to hold it. I'm exaggerating a bit, but, you, but it's real though, isn't it? I, I guarantee you, you go through the same stuff and that's exactly the way Satan wants it. And as soon as you start to break that down, wait a minute, wait, wait, stop, stop. Hebrews chapter 13, verse five. I am with you to the end. Well, that'll change a few things. God hasn't left me. I may feel like it, but that's because I've been focusing on things that aren't relevant. God is number one. Now watch, this is the same thing that's happening. His, his situation has not changed at all. Habakkuk, back to Habakkuk. Nothing's changed. It's the same mess. Watch this. Verse 17. Although the fig tree shall not blossom, that means there's not going to be fruit, neither shall fruit be in the vines, that's no grapes, the labor of the olive shall fail, oh, no olives, the fields shall yield no meat, oh, no pasture, the flock shall be cut off from the fold, oh, that's no calves, might even be some sheep there, I don't know, there shall be no herd in the stalls. Oh, my goodness. This sounds like a disaster. But he said, even if that's the deal, Nothing, 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 nothing. Yet, I will, did you get it? I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like hinds feet. Just like you take a deer or an elk and going up the mountains. Man, are they sure-footed, right? You just don't jaunt right after them and catch up, right? They're so sure-footed. He's saying the same thing. God is, he is really giving me the stability and the protection. And he will make me to walk upon high places. That's how he ends this. This is the same guy that it's, life's a wreck. What was the deal? What was it? He was praising God. He was reciting the things that he got. Now, the other part of this is there's another side of this, which we hopefully in, were encompassing in in this last week. It's called Thanksgiving. When you can be thankful, that'll break down those huge mountains that just seem to be overpowering. And sometimes it takes a little while to dig out. Like, Lord God, thank you for... Uh, well, thank you for, right? Have you ever been there? You can't, you know, it's, it, that's how sickening the thickness of the wall is that has been built up. And when you start to be able to, to bring, bring th- thank you, God, for this. Thank you for this moment because we're right now together. We're talking with one another. I'm able to pray. Thank you for receiving my prayer. Thank you, God, for answering my prayer. Thank you for being open to listening to my, do you see what's happened? Just that one thing and everything cracks loose and it starts to go. And this is where God is glorified because ultimately you receive joy as a result. Did you see what happened to Mr. Habakkuk? Joy was all over him. This is the one thing. If, even if, if we shut down right now, the one thing I want you to get is when you are glorifying God, these are just six of them, something happens. Joy comes into your life. If you're struggling with joy today, I can tell you right now it's the reason is you're not glorifying God. I didn't say that's what the Bible says. Isn't that amazing? So we can run right where it's at. Let's go. No, it's number seven. Prayer, okay? Oh, I'm hoping we hadn't talked about contentment. Had we talked about contentment? Did we really? Well, let's... So, but the bottom line is, is you know, we may make it today, Ernie, because uh, I thought we talked about contentment. 
okay? Or that we didn't. I, w I, had this, I had this huge pile of notes to talk about contentment today. Isn't that something? So let's try. Uh, so you guys got these. Let's go to number seven. And let's make it, uh, what did you get? What was, what was the other one other than contentment? Prayer. prayer. Let's go with that. Let's go with seven was prayer. Okay. What did we learn about that? Did you remember those promises? Let's go back to John 14 for a second. John 14. John 14. Whoops, I'm going the wrong way. John 14. This sounds, this sounds crazy. And let's look at verse 13. Now, John 14 is a really cool chapter because uh, he's telling them that exclusively, I'm going to go away and uh, I'm preparing a place for you and I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. That's what he told Thomas. And it goes on later and he says this. Verse, uh, verse 13, 13 and 14. John 14, 13. And whatsoever you shall ask in my name, this is Jesus' words, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. <laughs> I remember reading that for the first time. I thought, whoa, that sounds like a pretty good deal. All i got to remember to do is I ask for all the stuff I want, and I say, in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, i got to be honest, it didn't work out. <laughs> and I thought, well, maybe I didn't say it loud enough, right? This little tag on the end of stuff, right? But is that what it means? No, that's not what it means. No, it's not what it means at all. Now, we talked about this, but let's, let's, let's hash through it a little bit more. What does it mean? What, what does that mean? What do you mean in Jesus' name? Yeah, and looking at, through it, all we know about Jesus Christ, all we know about God, when you look at through that lens, in other words, we'd pray like this, Lord God, I'm asking because I truly do believe that through the sense of what I know about Jesus Christ and all that he would want, I'm asking you to accomplish it because I believe that's what he wants. Do you see the difference? It takes all the pressure off, and it opens us up. What, is ha what has happened? And this is what prayer is really literally about. I'm going to say that this is what happens to me when I pray. I may go to prayer, and I may have some preconceived ideas of what I think would be the best for me or someone I'm praying for. But the longer I pray, guess what happens? The closer that God's will aligns. And actually, what I should say, my will aligns with God's will. And that's why we pray. Because the more we know about God's will, and every time you pray, the more intimately involved you are with Him, the more relationally that you're visiting with Him, the clearer His will becomes. And then you wouldn't ask anything that's not in His will. Knowingly, right? And sometimes it's like this. I said, Lord God, I don't know what you want right now, but I want what you want. So let that happen. That's exactly right. Even Jesus glorified God in that as well. And pray, by the very prayer itself, see, he gets the glory at the end. In fact, uh, if you pray, let's say you pray for somebody. Let's just you pray for somebody. And, and, and it's revealed that that prayer was answered. What do we usually say? Praise God, right? Do you see what? God is glorified. It's not us. We're not, we're not the power troll behind this thing. Do you see the difference? Prayer is so amazing in the sense of glorifying God. Okay, next one was, it was, was it contentment? It was, huh? I'm a little bit, we're going to talk a lot more about, let's, let's leave that one for a little bit longer, okay? So let's take the next one you had. Unity. unity. I remember talking about that last week, right? Okay, unity. Well, there's a lot about that. There's, what, what, and I won't stay, stay here very long. We talked a long time about it last week. What destroys unity? 
There's a number of things probably, but I heard it. I heard the word I was looking for. What was it? Pride. Oh, pride. Pride is an amazing thing. Um, when you enter pride into a really nicely knitted, uh, tightly integrated group, and when self, that's behind pride, anytime that that raises up its ugly head, guess what happens? Explosions. Unity is the last thing to hang around. It's gone. Pride and unity, impossible. It can't happen. It just can't happen. And unity, God is... In fact, what did I use for a scripture there? Let's look at that real quickly. Did you remember? Anybody have it written down? That'll work good. Yeah, that'll work great. Let's go to Romans chapter 15 for a second. Romans 15. And uh, let's take a look at... Yeah, verse 5. Now the God of patience, Romans 15, 5. Now the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one toward another according to Christ Jesus, that you may be with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the, the, the word we didn't talk about last week as much was the word like-minded. What do you think that means? Like-minded. Are you guys all like-minded today? Are we in unity today? Okay, so what, and it says, by the way, didn't you like how that said it? We're supposed to be like-minded not as I am, not as Paul is, not as anyone else here, but like-minded as who? According to Jesus, right? So how is, and would you say that Jesus was thought the same thoughts as everybody else? No, that's bothering you, isn't it? See, that doesn't sound right. That's not right at all. But one thing we do know about Jesus, he was very like-minded in the sense he treated everyone the same, didn't he? He treated everyone exactly the same. He attacked, he, he, not attacked, but he approached people right where they were at. Would you not agree? Now, the Pharisee, wait, he said, now, wait a minute, Larry, I'm having a little bit of a problem. What do you mean? He, he didn't treat everybody the same. Like the Pharisees called them out. Well, he said he needed to, didn't he? They were very much taking the people away from God. How about the woman at the well? She'd been married five times. How did he approach her? In fact, you weren't really, if you were a guy, you weren't supposed to approach a Samaritan woman, right? In fact, his disciples what are you doing? And what did Jesus? He approached just like any other person. He was asking questions, right? He displayed who he was. I think it was fantastic. That's what I love about Jesus. He was never uncomfortable, nor was anyone uncomfortable in the sense of whoever they were, unless you were a religious leader that was really taking people away from God. Those were uncomfortable. In fact, they wanted him dead. But anyone else, I don't care who it was. They, in fact, that's what the Pharisees and the Sadducees hated so much, was he was always in the company of Tax collectors and, uh, uh, right? Sinners and publicans and all of the other guys. What, what, what is he doing that? Because he treated them all the same. That's what we're to do. And when you're like that, when you're like-minded, guess what? Unity is yours. Unity is yours. And God is glorified in unity. He's not a master. Of, he's not an author of chaos. Okay, what else? We've got to be... That's the only one. You, it, did you say commitment or contentment? Content. Shoot, I was going to go with. Uh, I was. Gonna, okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, let's talk about. Um, so the one that I, the other ones I don't have. Let's see. Okay, you've got unity. You got contentment. Let's write contentment down. That's okay. We've talked through it. Um, we may actually do a mini-series on contentment. We'll start next week. And you're laughing about the mini part? Is that what you're, yeah, what's your problem? Yeah. Okay, what did we use for verses last week in regards to contentment? Jerry, do you have any? Philippians 
Chapter 4, probably? Okay. Let's, let's take that one just a little more. Let's go to another level, maybe a little more in depth. Let's go to Philippians chapter 4 for a second. I want to keep the context. Philippians sometimes, would you not agree that sometimes Philippians is a book that we like to take verses out and use them? You know, I mean, you could like, there's so many cool verses in Philippians that gives us encouragement and support. Uh, I'd like to take you to uh, Philippians chapter 4, and I want, you, I, want you to, I want to build into you the real context of this situation. Now, you would probably tell me, let me, let me ask this. This is just a little, little quiz. If, if I was going to ask you, now this would be uh, chapter 4 of Philippians and after. There's two verses particular that you guys say, I love that verse. That is my verse. And which one would that be, maybe? Just think, yeah, and what is that one? Oh, doesn't that sound good? It sounds so awesome, right? Doesn't, how about another one? One more. One maybe in verse 19? What is that one? Exactly. Don't you love those? See, see, you guys called those right out of me. That was pretty impressive. I like that. But it has nothing to do with what you're really telling. <laughs> That's why context is so important. In fact, let's start. I'm going to read this passage of Scripture now, and I want you to see how this is what really the message, the underlying issues of what Paul is trying to get us to see and how it ties in. Okay, Philippians chapter 4, we'll start in verse 10. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. Now, I want you to mark that because I'm going to ask you that in a minute. After we read this whole passage, I want you to see how he responded. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. That now, at the last, your care of me hath... Where is he at, by the way? Where is, where is, where is Paul at? He's in prison. Okay, he's in prison. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly, now, that now, at the last, your care of me hath flourished again, wherein you were also careful, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Now, that's probably the verse that I used last week, probably, sense of contentment. I know both how to be abased... I know how to abound everywhere and in all things I'm instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. In other words, he's saying no matter what condition, no matter what the circumstances, I'm content to be there. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. And that's in regards to what he's just described in the sense of contentment. Notwithstanding, you have done well that you did communicate with my affliction. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving. But you won't, do you see what's happening here? What have they done? What has that Philippian church done? In these verses, he's describing what literally has happened on the ground in real time, in real world. What have they done? They gave him, they gave him some offering. They gave him money. They gave him money to support him. Okay? That's, that's really what they've done. Okay, let's keep going. Uh, where did I stop? For, for, for six, verse 16. For even in Thessalonica, you sent once and again unto my necessity. And not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. Did you see verse 17? That's, that's one we should really get a hold of. And he said, it's, it's not that I needed the, the gift, but what really gets me excited is the fact that you gave it. And I see the fruit in your life. That's exciting to me because that's glorifying God. Now look at verse 18, but I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory. by. Do you see who that was for? They had given so sacrificially that they didn't have enough. And he said, my God will supply all of your need. Isn't that great? That is so cool. And the other part was, as they were given things to him, he said, you know what? 
Let, let me read. Now, let me go back. Remember the, 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 the part I asked you to remember? Remember what was first verse 10? I'm going to read it differently because this is now you know what it's all about. They had given a gift of an offering to Paul who's in prison. I don't know how he got that, but somebody must have delivered it to him. And he's writing. He said, man, thank you. But it's not even that I needed it. I'm okay with whatever situation I'm in. I'm content. But watch this. This is what, what would have you said? What would have you said if you would have gotten a gift from someone else? Let me see if, if you'd read it this way. Verse 10, I rejoice in the money you sent. It's quiet in here right now. Did you see what he said? I rejoice in the Lord greatly. Did you see the difference? That's where circumstances, if he would have been rejoicing only in the circumstances that were driven to him, guess what? It would have been all over the place. Why was he joyful as he wrote in prison to the, to the, the church of Philippi? Because he rejoiced in the Lord. That's where my problem is when I wake up in the middle of the night. My circumstances will circumvent where I'm probably thinking about where I should be at, right? Paul, he's outside of circumstance. He says, I rejoice in the Lord because I've learned to be content in whatsoever state I am. Isn't that good? That's good stuff. Now, now you say, wait a minute. Sure, he can rejoice in the Lord because he got an offering. He got some money, Right? Let me show you another one. Let's go to, how are we doing for time? It's good. Ernie, it's not a problem. We're, we're doing good. Let's go to, uh, let's see, where do I got to go? Uh, 2 Corinthians. Let's go to 2 Corinthians. I've got to find, here we go. Excuse me one minute. So 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And let's look at verse 23. I think that's where we'll start. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 23. Now, this is the opposite. You talk about this man being content. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, and we're going to start in verse 23. Now, watch this. I'm going to, I'm going to read it fairly quickly, but you'll get an idea. It's not really paradise. From our perspective, not a vacation time. Second Corinthians 11, verse 23. Are, are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more in labors, more, than, more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons, more frequent, in deaths oft. Of the Jews, five times received I 40 stripes or lashes, save one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night, a day, I have been in the deep. In journeyings often in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils by my own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness, in painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger, in thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. What do you think, guys? This sounds rough. But beside those things that are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all of the churches, who is weak and I am not weak? Who is offended and I burn not? Watch now. If I must needs glory, I will glory of the things which concern my infirmities. Literally what he's saying is this. In other words, we would say, I'm, I'm still going to glory in God in spite of my circumstances. You know, he's named all this stuff. Do you know what he just said right there? That verse said, I will glorify him because of my infirmities. Whoa, that gets my attention. 
Now that's contentment. Because I feel strong enough about God that He's allowed this stuff to happen to me, that I'm still in the perfect place because He's the perfect God and understands exactly what I need for this moment. Now, sometimes that doesn't feel exactly right. But did you see that? That's, that's truly seeing contentment from both positions from Paul. He was content in God's sovereignty. Contentment. We're probably actually, we'll see how it goes, how, where God leads us next week. Um, so do you have any more or is that it? That's it? Okay. All right, the next one that I'd like to look at is uh, we're going to go to uh, 2 Peter. Let's go back there for a second. And I want you to see, now this is actually, before you do that, no, that's okay, that's okay. Just go there, 2 Peter. I want to talk about Peter for a second and how much he was dedicated to glorifying God. And you say, well, this isn't the same guy that denied Christ three times in the one night there. Yep, same guy. Same guy that actually we'll find in John chapter 21. We'll be talking about that in a second. But right now... Where did I tell you to go? Second Peter? Yeah. Got to go to First Peter. Sorry, I was wrong. Wrong Peter. Let's go to First Peter chapter 4. And let's look at this a second. Verse 15 and 16. Verse 14. We'll start there. First uh, Peter chapter 4, verse 14. If you be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are you. For the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or as a thief or as an evildoer or as a busybody in other men's matters. In other words, you know, don't suffer because of breaking the law in any way, shape, or form. But, verse 16, if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. Now, this was written by the same man that Jesus Christ, upon his post-resurrection visit, let's go back to John chapter 21. John chapter 21. This is, this is uh, literally Peter. It's the third time that Jesus has appeared to the disciples. Okay, Third time. And uh, i got to find where Peter's... Yeah, let's go to verse, verse 1 of chapter 21 of John. We'll, 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 I want to spend just enough time here so that you see the, the context of it. John chapter 21, verse, 20, verse 1 says this. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and on this wise, this way, showed he himself. There were together Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee and the sons of Zebedee and the two other of his disciples. Watch verse 3. Simon Peter said unto them, I go a fishing. What's he saying? What is literally he saying right now? I'm done with this party. I'm out of here. I'm just going to go back to fishing. That's where I came from. I've watched this whole thing explode. I've been three years just visiting with Jesus. And he's taught me a lot of stuff. I'm done. I'm over this whole thing. I'm going to go back to fishing. Have you ever been so discouraged at times that you just said, I'm done with all of this. I'm just going to go back. <laughs> and what do you think happened? Now, Peter's a pretty good fisherman. He was pretty good. He was a commercial fisherman. That's what he did. He goes out and guess how much they caught that night? Because I'm sure he was ready to catch anything that he could catch. Absolutely zero. What do you think now, Peter? <laughs> ah, it gets better. It gets better. Here comes Jesus. They went forth, entered into the ship immediately. That night they caught zero. When the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore. The disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Jesus said unto them, Children, have you any meat? 
They answered, no. In other words, have you caught anything? How, how do you think that was working? You know, you got commercial fishermen and somebody's on the shore. Hey, did you catch anything? No. So then this guy, this guy on the shore says, put your net on the other side of the ship as if we hadn't done that before, right? And you will find they did it and they were not able to draw it in for the multitude of fishes. Blew their minds. Verse 12, Jesus said unto them, come and dine. None of the disciples dared ask him who they were, but knowing that it was Jesus, it was the Lord. Then Jesus came, took bread, gave it to them, and fish alike. And this is the third time that Jesus showed himself to the disciples after he was risen from the dead. Now watch this. What, what do we know about Jesus' relationship with Peter right now? I mean, just right now, just cl- clip in time, just break it down. Here we are at this time. What had happened? It wasn't very good, was it? Um, one of the things I really love about my Savior, you see when you, when you have a bad day, you have a wreck, when things just aren't going very good, and, and, Jesus, and, and Peter there right in front of everybody, God and everybody, denied that he even knew Jesus Christ three times. Totally denied him. Just totally denied him. And in one of the, the Gospels says that Jesus turned and looked at him, and then what did Peter do? Oh, went on and wept, felt like a dog, right? It couldn't have been much worse. How, how much worse could that be, right? And by the way, we made it worse because Peter's the guy that kind of puts his foot in his mouth. And he says, oh, no, if they all the rest of them leave these other guys, I'm there to the end. That's what he said before that, right? And then after he was risen, do you know what Jesus said? He said, go tell the disciples and and Peter that I'm risen. (laughs) Right? Do you see that? That's what he does. And and Larry or and Paul. And he, he wants to recapture everything that we somehow just lose or miss. And now he's got Peter's attention. Does he not have Peter's attention? Peter's disobeyed him now. He said, I'm going to go back to the fishing boats. I'm so sick of all of this. He doesn't catch anything. And then Jesus from the shore, put your fish, put the net on the other side. And they can't even bring the thing in. I can't even get this stuff in. And then he says, Peter, do you love me? Oh, right? Now he uses the word, the big word. He uses the agapao. He uses the self-sacrificing love word. That's what Jesus uses. And you know what Peter uses? He doesn't use that word because he knows that's not the way he's loved him. In fact, his history shows him that. And he says, uh, I phileo you. That's kind of like a brotherly love. Looks like we're brothers. And then Jesus says, well, do you agapao me? Oh, now he's distressed, right? Now we're doing this twice. And he says, well, Right? And, and then the third time he says it again. And he says, you know, Lord, you know my heart. You know me. And now he's got him, doesn't he? Now watch this. Watch this. Let's keep going. We're going through quickly. Um, verily, verily, verse 18. I say unto you, when thou wast young, thou girdest thyself and walkest whither thou wouldst. In other words, you've went wherever you wanted to go. But when you shall be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and another shall gird thee and carry thee whither thou wouldst not. This spake he, signifying... By what death, stay with me, he should, what's the word? Glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said, follow me. That, that's the two words, that literally, of all of this that Jesus spoke. He said, you just, you follow me. Just follow me. You know what he's saying to each one of us today? Follow me. Just, just follow me. Just follow me. And when you're following, guess what happens? You're glorifying. But one of the things that he wanted Peter to see was, a way to glorify God, which actually, a tradition tells us that Peter was crucified upside down. And literally it says, by his very form of death, he glorified God. He glorified God. 
And when we love God enough to suffer for Him, that glorifies God. Suffering can glorify God. Now, again, I'm saying for the right, this is, this, not for the wrong things, but for the right things. Love enough. Love enough to suffer for God. And, and then that's what I love about, about First Peter, right? Here's the, man that, here's, here's the man that's written this, that Jesus said of this. And you know, what do you think Peter's heart was doing right then? Yes! This is the same one that said, I'll do whatever I'm going to do. And now Jesus has said, you are actually literally going to glorify me in your death. That must have charged him on to know finally, finally, I'm not going to let him down. And from that point on, from that moment on, do you know what he did with Jesus Christ? He, I should say God, he followed him every minute of his life. Every minute of his life. There's another one. Now, we are, I'm getting a little nervous now, Ernie, but we're, we're, we're moving, though. We've got two left. Um, tell me about another thing. Um, what's a way to glorify God? What are we doing today? What are we doing today? Fellowshipping? Okay. What if I would come... And by the way, you're, you're, there's going to be a lot of good answers to this. Okay. What if I would just... Um, let's say... Uh, oh, no. I've got here... I've been using the Bible exclusively today. Have you, have you noticed? Okay, but let's say, just, just for a second, just for a second. This doesn't happen here very much, but just for a second. Let's say that I just walked up here. Oh, I've got another Bible, actually. I don't want so I walk up here, and I might have my cell phone. I might have an iPad, and I might have a lot of notes, and I'm going to tell you a lot of my opinions. I'm going to tell you opinions like you've never heard opinions before, and they may even sound pretty good to you. What would happen? That's exactly right. Would God get the glory from that? No. No. But when we're proclaiming the word, when we're using the word of God, guess what you can say when you're done? Ah, that was so refreshing because God was glorified and his word was proclaimed. Proclaiming God's word. It's so amazingly powerful. Proclaiming the word. Now, those of you that are accounting know we're really close. There's one left, and there probably could be more, but for today. Let's go to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 15. Now, I would say that this, the Holy Spirit is, is very intimately involved in this one, but we have a part in it. Um, for instance, I, had, I caught a... You remember the, uh, um, where I went out to the memorial in Washington? A friend of mine that was killed uh, very prematurely, 47 years old, I think. And as a result, um, God took him home. It was, it was such, and I, I won't get into the whole story of it, but something that did happen as a result of that was a friend, someone I've been praying for a long period of time, except Christ. We're in front of an airport. And uh, we're there long enough. I think I've told you this. You know how the, how the airport police guys are there? And when a car sits there too long, what do they do? What are, what are you doing? You need to move, okay? Well, they came and saw us once, right? And I said, oh, we're okay. I, I'm, I'm going to get on a plane. I said, we've got some stuff here. But when I asked the question, I said, what if, what if it was you instead of my friend Josh that would have been killed? Would you have been ready? And he said, no. He said, I, I, I'm not. I'm not ready. I said, would you like to be? And so we talked for quite a while. And finally, we get to the point, And he said, I don't know the next step. I said, well, I'll tell you what. I'll help you. 
I will literally help you. I'll pray and you pray after me. And if you mean business, then it, it works. It's the deal. Well, I had told him, and, and he did. We, you know, Lord God, I'm a sinner. There's nothing I can do about it. And he repeated this. And I, I, I asked for forgiveness of my sins. And I confess to you that there's nothing I can do about it. And I want Jesus Christ to be my Savior from this moment forward. And he did. And he said, I said, if you mean business, you're brand new. He said, I do. And, and he just broke down. It was cool. And I, I gave him an assignment. I said, you need to go talk to, to, this, to this gal that I prayed for. Her husband was killed. But I said, the other one I'd like you to talk to is your brother. Your brother lives in Colorado. And do and you know I got a call finally? And I want, you know how you want to call somebody? You can't stand it because you want to go. No, I wouldn't do it. I got a call from the brother. I actually a text on Wednesday night, Thursday morning. And he said, wow, just got the good news. Thank you, brother. Praise God. You see, when others come to Christ, guess what happens? God is glorified. God is glorified. And there's another one. There's more thanksgiving in heaven than ever. In fact, if you go to Ephesians, uh, let's go there for a second. where Where did I tell you to go? Let's go to 2 Corinthians first. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 15. Verse 15. For all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God. As more people come to Christ, all of that abundant grace, it would even add more thanksgiving and brings glory to God. Turn with me quickly to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 10. I bet you've never, well, maybe you have, but Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 10 tells us something that I think is miraculous. It's powerful. Watch this. Start in verse 9. To make all men see, are you there? Ephesians chapter 3, verse 9. To make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Christ Jesus, to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold witness wisdom of God. Now what that, and you're saying, wait, I don't get all of that. Well, hang on quickly. Now, as the church, who's the church? That's, that's sinners that have been saved by Christ. Those that ultimately will be there one day. And you know what he said? Those angels in heaven will be praising God for his manifold wisdom in creating the church with men getting saved. Think of that. The thanksgiving and the praise and the honor. It's all God's because of what was done through Jesus Christ. If you're in Ephesians, one more, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 12. That we should be that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. Wow. I'm obviously about out of time here. I'm looking for just a couple of closing. I do want to uh, there's another thing we haven't spent enough time on, and, and that is there was a verse. Now this is a test. Because I told all of you, yes. Oh, okay, okay. Let me work on that. That's a good point. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I'm now. Th- I have to be careful. I say this because it's we are part of bringing. And I'm going to say this: bringing others to Christ. Okay, bringing others to Him. Okay. Now, I want to be very careful now. See, on that, where I was in front of that airport, um, we, there had been praying going on, and the Holy Spirit was doing the ministry of the Spirit. In other words, 
they were reach, he was reaching out to that person, and he does. The Holy Spirit does that work. But there's something that's important for us, and that's to respond in a way so that we're being part of that. Okay, and it just it just builds on itself. It's an it is so powerful. Each and every one of these. Now we we've got twelve of them we've written down. When we glorify God, you can count on this: that He will give you joy in your heart that is beyond circumstance. In fact, I want to, do you remember? Now, this is a little bit of a test because I asked for you guys to remember. I'd asked you when we're done, I wanted you to tell me to go back to, aha, you weren't listening, were you? You say, well, Larry, you talk so much. How could we remember all of that? Do you remember what it was? It was in John. John. Let's go. This, this, I'm going to leave this with you. I've got a number of other verses that I, that I could go, but I, let's, let's leave it with this. Let's go to John chapter 15. Is that ringing a bell? No? That's, that's, that, that's right. Verse 11, exactly. Let's go to John chapter, and we'll start in verse 8, though. We've talked about fruitfulness, being fruitful. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, meekness, temperance, faith. Against such, there is no law. That fruit that the Spirit develops within us. John chapter 15, and let's look now quickly and carefully at verse 8. Herein is my Father glorified. Now, we want to pay attention because that's how we get joy. That you bear much fruit, so shall you be my disciple. You're connected to Him. You're seeking after Him. You're yielding to the Spirit. Now, watch. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue you in my love. Continue in my love. If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in His love. Watch. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. When's the last time you've been full of joy? Oh, boy, nobody, huh? How about that? I, no, I shouldn't tell anybody. Uh, but you know what? You know why that is? Because we're not actively engaged in glorifying God on every possible, aiming at glorifying Him, because the more we glorify Him, the more joy we have. And it's His joy that will remain for us. Do you know what heaven is? Tell me what heaven is. What is heaven? You say, I thought you were going to be quiet. It's what? It's your home. It's, your, it's where you're a citizen of, isn't it? What, tell me about heaven. What's it going to be like? What's going to be there? Jesus. God. You know what heaven is? It's full, complete joy without anything that alters it, which it does currently today. You know what steals joy from you today? Sin. All of the challenges that press in on us. The things that steal and rob joy. In heaven, guess what? There's nothing to rob and to steal our joy. Joy is not boring. You know, somebody, man, you know, you just ride in a cloud and play a harp, you know. That's not biblical. I don't know where that's at. But you know what? It will be unending joy. What is, what is missing in our country today? A lot. A lot. God. Love. Thankfulness. You know what? All of those things you've mentioned are very true. And at the end result of those, there's no joy in America today. There's no joy. There's a lot of people seeking after happiness. And I will say this again. I've said it many times, but I want to say it again because it's in the Scripture. If your sole motive is to be happy and you're going to take off and be down the avenue of happiness, that is a, a non-ending road that goes nowhere. 
happiness is ever achieved. Joy can never be accomplished outside of circumstances, beyond circumstances, what I meant to say. But when we glorify God, did you see the scripture really reveals it to us? That's where joy is and ultimately heaven. Because what, was, what, what do we say? Our, our purpose is to be what? To glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. And once we're on heaven's side, guess what? It's full-time joy. There's no tears. There's no sorrow. There's no pain. There's no weeping. There's no, you get it? That is full-time joy. To God be the glory. Great things He has done. Oh. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, but I'm not. But what? Turn to First Thessalonians 4. I, this was my closer. First, or God's closer. Let's do it that way. First Thessalonians chapter 4. And then I will. I, trust me. That's really? Yeah. <laughs> Ernie. First Thessalonians 4.17. No, that's not it. Ah, second. Let me look at that one. Yeah, I might have it wrong. There's nothing wrong with that one. Come on. Nope. Okay, um, so I can't tell you that. I wrote it down wrong. Okay, I'll tell you what it is next week. How's that? Leaving something. You mean that we had written down first? Number two was uh, to confess Jesus Christ as Savior. Yeah, accepting Christ as your Savior. Okay. I'm sorry, the verse I was looking for, and we will be with him evermore. Do you guys know where that's at? Is it 17? Oh, 417. Yeah, there it is. Okay. You know what I did this time? I'm in chapter 5. Ah! Pray without ceasing. Okay. Here we go. First, First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 17. Now, this is something that's in our future, potentially. Um, with, if we're still alive and the rapture, the coming, the catching away, the snatching away of Jesus Christ. In verse 16, it says, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. And then we, which are alive and remain, shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. I can't think of anything much better than that, right? That's it. That's the end. That's over. It's so glorious. So amazing. Okay. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the day. Thank you for your love, for your care. Thank you for the patience of these folks here today. It's been um, kind of a long session, but we brought our arms around essentially some basics of glorifying yourself. And when we glorify, when we honor, when we bring that to you. You return it by giving us joy. A picture, and, or a portion, that's a better word, a portion of the joy that literally will be ours in heaven. It's the same kind of joy. But there's no restrictions in heaven. There's nothing that will hold us back. There's nothing that can steal it. There's nothing that can take it away. And here, Father, oftentimes the antithesis of some of these items we've listed as glorifying you, the opposites literally will steal joy from us. When we choose not to confess sin, uh, joy will leave quickly. Father, there's so many ways that joy can be stolen. But Father, thank you for showing us how, how to glorify you. Thank you for the promise that we have joy in Jesus. 
And now, Father, take and use us in the manners that is most pleasing to you. We offer ourselves to you in Christ's name. Amen. We'll, uh, we'll have a quick communion service here, our time.